If you have a Bible with you this morning, uh, I want to invite you to open it, or you can open that Bible app. But join me, if you will, in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Now, last week we kicked off a new sermon series in the book of Daniel. And what we're doing over the next number of mo- uh, weeks is that we're going to be uh, talking about what it means to live for God in a culture that doesn't follow God. Now, last week we saw that this group of four young men, they're taken away from their homes in Jerusalem. They're taken away to this pagan land in Babylon. And and they're forced to go on this 1,600-mile journey by foot that would completely change their lives. They uh, now had to figure out, how are we going to stay faithful to God in a culture that's completely against the things of God? Now, before we read our text for today, I just want us to think a little bit about the days that we live in, particularly as it relates to COVID-19. Now, there are all sorts of different thoughts and perspectives, opinions and fears about this virus. Uh, Some are thinking, man, this thing is really serious and you're wearing every kind of protection that you can. You're armed at all times with Lysol and Purell everywhere that you go. There are others who are thinking, yeah, I, I don't know that this is really very big, a very big deal at all. In fact, if I get this thing, I'm just going to rub a little bit of dirt on it and everything will be fine. And, and, and there are others that I might call closet cleaners. Closet cleaners, they're the kind of people who say, yeah, I don't mind shaking hands with you. But as soon as you uh, shake their hand, uh, their mind starts racing and they're thinking like, where is the Purell? I've got to go wash my hands right away. And they're finding a way to discreetly run off as quickly as they can and get the germs off of themselves. We all have different reactions. We all have different responses to this thing, right? Well, a couple of weeks ago, me and the boys uh, went out to a restaurant to get some food. And you can judge me on that if you want to. But anyway, we were thinking uh, about going to a particular restaurant and we were going to go through the drive through But when we got to that restaurant, we realized that we could actually go inside and eat. And so we decided to do that. And again, you can judge me on that if you want. But uh, we, we ordered our food. We're sitting there. We're enjoying our meal together. And we're uh, also sitting in a place where I can actually see out the window and see people who are going through the drive through Now, we have a picture that we're going to put up on the screen of this, but uh, we, we've all seen this happen in recent months where you go through the drive through you place your order, and then you have to kind of pull off to the side and wait for them to bring your food out. Well, that's what was happening at this place, but uh, one particular car caught my attention because... When the person came out uh, with the food, they walked up to the window where this person, other person was sitting in the car. That person kind of rolled their window down just a little crack. And then th- that person with the food, they kind of backed away from the car. And then they went over to the hood of the car and placed the food on the hood of the car. And, and uh, then they kind of just backed away and, and walked back into the building. Now, I-, I thought, you know, this is a little bit serious, but... It was just getting started because the person in the car, they they got out of the car. They had a mask on and a shield on and they had gloves and they had Clorox wipes with them. So this guy uh, goes over to the bag of food and he starts taking each individual thing out of the bag one at a time and he's wiping it down. And honestly, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, is this guy diffusing a bomb or is he trying to get lunch for himself? He wipes everything down. He puts it in a different bag that he had brought along with him. 
He, he gets back into his car after a number of minutes doing this, and he drives off. And this takes like 10 minutes at least. And the thought that's going through my mind is, I don't think I have the patience for that. I mean, if I had to do something like that, I, I would just grow my own food in my backyard, and I would never leave my house. But we all have different views of what's going on, different ways of approaching this. And for all of us... We, we have to make this decision of what's the best thing for me to do here. Well, today we are going to read a passage of scripture where Daniel and his friends have to make a decision about something. Uh, many people today are concerned about being exposed to something that is unseen. Well, these young men are also concerned about something that is somewhat unseen. And what concerned them was not germs, but what concerned them is being exposed to a certain worldview, a culture, a values, uh, even temptations and sin. And they basically say this, we know that we can't completely avoid all of these things, but how do we keep ourselves safe? I, I think that all of us know this, that no matter what you do, whether you uh, come to church or whether you watch the service online, whether you eat inside at a restaurant or go through the drive through or eat, uh, don't go out to eat at all, whether you go to the grocery store or you have everything delivered to your house, we all realize this, that COVID-19 germs are out there, that, that flu germs are out there, that stomach bugs are out there. And some of you are thinking, Jason, will you please stop talking about these things? I'm freaking out. The point that I'm trying to make is that all of these things are out there. We, we can try to do certain things, take certain precautions, but we cannot totally avoid every germ out there. And that's true not just with germs, but that's true with the, the ideas of our culture as well. That we cannot avoid being exposed to every wicked ideology in this world, but we can and we should take precautions in order to remain faithful to the Lord in a culture that wants nothing to do with the Lord. And that's what we're going to be seeing today as we look at this text of Daniel and his friends. Daniel and his friends know that they cannot escape Babylon. They're already there, but at the same time, they still can choose what things they're going to be a part of and what things they're not going to be a part of. What we're going to see today is these young men had courage in the midst of a culture of compromise. As we talked about last week, this group of young men, they were brought to Babylon, 1,600 mile journey away from their homes. Now the question is, well, how are they going to survive in the midst of a culture that is a pagan culture, a pagan place that they're in now? We want to pick up the story, Daniel chapter 1. Beginning in verse 8, you can follow along in your copy of God's word, and here's what we read. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you uh, would endanger my head with the king? 
Then Daniel said to the steward whom the, chief of the, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat the, the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four ewes, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Here's the, these, these uh, teenage boys. If you remember from last week, they were taken away from their homes. They were, uh, they were taken away from their families. They were unable to have families of their own. And now you, you would think that the, the king would, would take their, their lives and, they would, and just make them miserable in order to get them to fear him. But that's not what, what the king does. That's not the way the king approaches this whole thing. Instead, it's like the king says, you know what? You've had this rough journey, and now I, I want you to be taken care of. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. And he says, you know what? You can eat what I eat. You can drink what I drink. And uh, I have all of these wonderful things that we're going to provide to you from Babylon here. Uh, I'm going to provide this for you. Now, I find this very interesting because it seems that the culture is trying to change these young men through prosperity and not through persecution. And I think that this is something that we face today as well, that the culture attempts to give us all of these good things and we, that we would begin to depend on and trust in the culture rather than God. That we start thinking, you know what? If I want to keep enjoying all of these good things that the culture has to offer, then I need to go along with what the culture's agenda is. Nebuchadnezzar seems to be trying to change these young men to, to give them everything that he could possibly give them, everything that they could possibly want, so that they begin to think following King Nebuchadnezzar is the key to my success. That he is trying to entice them through certain privileges that would wear them down over time. Well, uh, for, for any of you who have read the Chronicles of Narnia before, and we've actually read this book as a family in uh, recent times. Uh, this past spring, we sat down with our children and we read the Chronicles of Narnia with them. But if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia with, uh, before, you know that there's a character in there named Edmund. And um, when Edmund, he, he comes through this wardrobe. When, when he first comes through this wardrobe, do you, do you remember what happens? Well, he meets this white witch. And 
When he meets this white witch, what does she do? Does she start scolding him? Does she start giving him a hard time? Does she start trying to make his life miserable for being there? Well, no, she actually gives him what he has always wanted. She gives him his favorite thing in the entire world, Turkish delight. Now, I've never had Turkish delight before, but I've heard it's actually awful. But for some reason, Edmund loved Turkish delight more than anything else. And that's exactly what she gives him. She wants to make him happy. She wants to make him want to go with her wherever she goes. She wants him to depend upon her. And now that, that, that she gives him the thing that he wanted more than anything else, well, she's got him. And that's what's happening with Daniel and his friends, that the Babylonians are trying to re-educate them, that trying to assimilate them into their culture and, and trying to get them through prosperity rather than through persecution. They're trying to get them, uh, give them everything that they've ever wanted or ever imagined. And yet we're told in verse 8 that Daniel uh, makes a decision that he resolves to not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And Daniel draws this line and he determines to uh, not to, uh, he, he determines to endanger himself rather than to defile his integrity. That he says, you know what, I'd rather die with my integrity intact than to bow my knee to this pagan king and what this pagan king wants me to do. Daniel knew that he could not get away from all of the temptations, all of the depravity, all of the issues out there, but he determined to draw a line and not to cross it. And so he goes to the chief of the eunuchs and he says, listen, you know what? I don't want to eat this stuff because of what it means to my relationship with God. And the chief says, well, you know what? You have to eat this because of what it means to my king. Daniel feared God more than the king. This chief feared the king more than he feared God. And friends, the reason why some of us are struggling with certain decisions right now is because of who matters most to us in life. And some of you are here this morning and maybe you're concerned about what your employer is going to do. Or maybe you're concerned about a particular presidential candidate and what they're going to do or what the government's going to do or a particular leader is going to do. And you fear making sure that you're in line with that person rather than with God. But but Daniel says, you know what? I don't care who the king is right now. I don't care who's in charge of this culture. I know that I belong to God. And just like the Apostle Paul would say in the New Testament, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, the worst thing that they could do to me is to kill me. And if that happens, I'm going to be out of Babylon. I'm going to be in a much better place. And so Daniel decided to fear God more than he feared the king. Now, I'm sure that some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, well, uh, what's so bad about the food? I mean, Daniel, why didn't you just go ahead and eat what they gave you? How could this food possibly defile you? Because all the Bible just says that they didn't want to defile themselves, but they don't give any specific reasons why the food or the drink might defile these young men. And so there are a number of different reasons that people have given over the years. And I just want to point out four reasons to you here this morning. The first one is dietary, dietary, that the, the king may have been offering them this food that was forbidden in the scriptures. 
In fact, there's a reference to this. You could go back to places like Leviticus chapter 11 and verses 1 through 23, where in the book of the law, God gives them these certain commandments to his people about what they're supposed to eat and about what they're supposed to stay away from, what's off limits to them. And so possibly the reason why Daniel and his friends don't want to eat this food is because God had told them not to eat this and they did not want to break his commandments. I mean, why don't you want to eat this food? Well, because God has told us not to. And so it could have been a dietary reason. Uh, Secondly, it could have been because of devotion. Devotion. That the food may have been tied to the worship of a, a pagan god. And in places like Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verses 13 through 15... God had warned them uh, about not having anything to do with the ceremonies of worship with other gods. And so maybe what was happening is that this pagan priest was cooking and preparing this meal and then setting it before an idol. And the idol would have like an hour or so to eat the meal, but the idol didn't eat the food. They never did. And so they would take that food and then they would give it to these teenage boys to eat. In fact, there are still places in the world today that have these uh, kinds of practices. And and so maybe what's being said here, what's happening here, is that Daniel is saying, you know what, I'm not going to participate in this kind of idol worship. I'm not going to eat this food. The third possible reason is dependence. Dependence. The goal may have been to create reliance upon the king. That this one is kind of interesting to me because it doesn't have anything to do with the first two issues. But maybe they were concerned that if they ate this food, they were basically saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, we depend upon you. And they wanted nothing to do with that. They did not want there to be any thought in Nebuchadnezzar's mind that he had control over them. Or that they were dependent upon him. And so they ate vegetables and they drank water. Things that were provided by God from the earth. In order to show their dependence upon the Lord and not upon the king. There are, these are all very possible things. that uh, Reasons why they did this. But there, there's a fourth possible reason as well. And that is defensive. That it was defensive. Their resistance may have been a way of not going along with everything that the king had told them to do. They had so many things taken away from them. They were taken away from their homes. They were, they were given different languages and different jobs and different names. But maybe this was one way of not going along with the culture. And so maybe it wasn't so much about the food defiling them. But it was this totally total program of assimilation that they were having to do whatever the culture said. And so they, their response was, hey, you know what? This is a line that we're just not going to cross. It's possible. Now, I don't know for sure which one of these uh, it really was because the Bible doesn't tell us for sure. But I think that all four of these things are a good indication as to what might be going on in the minds of Daniel and his friends. And I think that ultimately, any one of these things is a good reason to say, you know, even though we are in, a, in this culture, and there are these germs of sin that are all around us, that, that, that we don't have to be involved in everything. We don't have to be involved in certain things. As followers of God... We, we can't isolate ourselves from everything, but we also don't have to participate in everything either. 
And so they draw a line and they say, you know what, we're just not going to do this. But when they, when they went to the king, or when they went to the chief of the eunuchs, what did he say? Well, his response was, you know what, I fear the king more than I fear your God. And so you're going to have to do this. I mean, this guy's job and very possibly even his life was on the line here. But verse 9 tells us that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. That God changed the mindset of the man and he looked on them with great favor. And notice that Daniel doesn't pout, he doesn't stop his feet. In a very reasonable way, he says, listen, why don't you test us for 10 days and see what happens? If it doesn't work, then maybe we'll reconsider what it is that you're asking us to do here. Now, I want you to see what happens specifically in verses 15 and 16, where it says this. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine, and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This is quite incredible. How God shows his favor on these, two, on these four young men. And when it's time for all of these trained teenagers to go in front of the king, who stands out? Well, it's Daniel and his three friends. Why? Well, because God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, unlike anyone else. And this is so important for us to hear. Because there are some of you here this morning who are in positions at work or maybe in the community where you just have a lot of influence. And maybe your, your boss is like the biggest jerk in the entire world. The, the, the absolute most pagan, godless person that you know. But, but have you ever thought about the fact that maybe God has put you in this position that he, that he has in order that you might have influence and reach that person with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you. Stay faithful because... You just never know what God is doing, what he might do in and through you. Now, what's interesting to me here is that not only is this chief eunuch impressed with Daniel and his friends, but so is King Nebuchadnezzar. Who are these guys? I mean, I want them on my side. And they get to stand before the king. I mean, normally when you're in the presence of the king, you're kneeling down or you're bowing down. But these guys are actually standing in the presence of the king. You see, God blessed these guys. He blessed them with remarkable insight and strategic opportunities. But did did you notice how it said that God gave them insight, that God gave them learning and skill and wisdom and understanding, that God did all of these things? In fact, in verse 20, it says, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. When it says that they were ten times better, the the original language actually says they were ten hands better. What does that mean? Ten hands better. Well, uh, each of these guys is better than five workers. You know what? I'd rather have Daniel than all these five guys anytime. And that's how good he is for us. He was making the city and the country a better place because of his presence. 
This is a good challenge for us today as well, that in the midst of a culture, a pagan culture, just like Jeremiah 29 that we read last week, God said, I want you to seek the welfare of the city that I'm putting you in right now. Because in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. God gave them favor. He gave them wisdom. He gave them opportunities. And now they are standing in the presence of the king. So that when the king goes through this crisis very soon, the only people who he's really going to be able to, uh, uh, who are really going to be able to address this uh, crisis is going to be Daniel and his three friends. Because the reality is they're the only ones who are really walking faithfully with God. Now, I want to take some time here to just talk uh, about some of the implications for us from our text today. Because the reality is, is that it could be really tempting for us to say, you know what, these are things that happened 3,000 years ago, and, and what does this have to do with me today? Well, these events in the lives of Daniel and his friends have a lot to say to us. And, and the first thing that I just want to point out is this, that it is impossible to influence a culture if you are dependent upon the culture. If you're dependent upon the culture and the things that it provides, the direction that it gives then you're not going to have much of an influence on that culture at all. Honestly, the fact that Daniel and his friends weren't dependent upon the king allowed them to have closer access to the king. They had nothing to lose. They were not concerned. Fiery furnace, dangerous lions, you name it, they're not afraid. Because no matter what happened, their hope was not in Babylon, but their hope was in the Lord. And so they weren't dependent upon the culture. They, they were dependent upon the Lord. But also here, I, I think that we see these young men taking steps of obedience and then God provides the resources for them. That they step out in faith and then we see God uh, meeting them in that. One of the interesting things about this passage is that we're told that first Daniel resolves not to defile himself. And then he went to this guy who was in charge and he asked him if he could do something about it, if he could do something different. At one point, Daniel says, hey, why don't you test us for 10 days? And then see, and then he sees that God gives him favor. Uh, Put put me before uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and see if he notices anything about me. Did you notice that every time it's almost as if Daniel and his friends are first taking a step of faith And then God is responding. Now, I want to be really careful here because I I don't want us to have any confusion about this. Because it, it, it doesn't say that you have to do something in order to earn salvation from Jesus Christ. In fact, you cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot buy God's love. It is by grace and grace alone that God chooses to love us even when we are unloving. But once we are saved, once we are changed, God starts doing things in our lives in order to show that we really are saved and to help us grow in him. And so you look at these things that are happening here in Daniel, and I think that at times God calls us to obediently follow him, to step out in faith, and then he provides the resources that we need along the way. Imagine Daniel telling the chief, Hey, you know, 
Uh, why don't you check us out after 10 days? Let, let us do this for 10 days and then check us out and see uh, how we're doing compared to everyone else. And at the same time, it, what's running through his mind is, man, I hope this works. And, and some of you know what I'm talking about, that, that you say, God, I don't want to defile myself, but you know, if I go talk to my boss about this, I mean, there's a good chance that I'm going to lose my job or even worse. And God says, well, do you trust me? Do you trust me? find it interesting that a few different times here in this story that, that Daniel actually steps out in faith and then God provides. And I think that today God is still calling us as his people to be a people of faith who step out and trust that he's going to provide for us. Now, I want you to see one last thing here in the text and it just has to do with verse 21. I'm going to go back and read verse 20 as well, but here's what we read. It says, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, why is that last sentence there? Well, I mean, what what does that last sentence have to do with anything? Why why is uh, King Cyrus even mentioned here? I mean, the whole chapter is talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar this, King Nebuchadnezzar that. But, but when you get to the last uh, verse there, the end of the chapter, it's this new king, King Cyrus. Why? Well, I think it's showing us something. You see, when Daniel made this statement of faith first, when he said, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what happens, this first happens when he first gets to Babylon. But, but King Cyrus is like four kings and two empires later. And Daniel outlasts all of them. Daniel outlasts Nebuchadnezzar, his son Belshazzar. He outlasts when Babylon is conquered by Persia and another king comes in on the scene. And then eventually King Cyrus comes along. And what does that show us? Well, this young teenage boy decides, you know what, I'm, going, I'm not going to com- compromise. No matter what the culture says, no matter what the culture does, I'm not going to follow after the culture. And what ends up happening is that the culture keeps changing. I mean, the strongest men and the strongest nations, they keep dropping like flies. But Daniel is still there in the end. Why? Well, because God is sovereign over everything. The waves of this world are going to fade into the background. But God, in his truth, will stand forever. And friends, as the people of God, that's what gives us a confidence. That's what gives us courage in the midst of a culture of compromise. Let's pray.